Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us this afternoon. My name is Clayton Bright. I'm an associate at Viral Dana, and I, along with my colleague Spencer Stone of Sullivan and Worcester, are pleased to be joined by Catherine Frifty of First American Title Insurance Company. Um, just as a little background, um, Catherine is a graduate of Suffolk University, where she obtained her bachelor's in accounting as well as her law degree. Catherine first joined First American in 2013 and now serves as regional counsel for both Massachusetts and Pennsylvania. I've personally had the pleasure of working with Catherine several times and she is very knowledgeable and a great resource, not only to me, but I'm sure countless other real estate attorneys when difficult title issues come up. And uh, Catherine, I'm sure that when I asked if you would come speak at the BBA, this probably was the simplest question you've gotten from me so far. Um, so without further delay, um, Catherine, floor is yours. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, so one of uh, the first questions that um, I get whenever I'm speaking somewhere um, is, what do you do and what is title insurance? Um, I'm sure we all use it because we're, you know, we buy it when we purchase a home, but nobody really knows what title insurance is and what it really does. So that's what I'm here for today. Discuss title insurance policies, what they are, what they cover, and go into commitments and final policies. So what is a title insurance policy? Um, it is a contract of indemnity. The title insurance company is indemnifying and holding the insured, whether it be an owner or a lender, harmless for any risk, liability, or loss related to their title. Uh, based upon the title search, the attorney or agent for the title company will do, um, they will issue the title insurance policy based upon current ownership records, uh, known liabilities, and any encumbrances of record. There is always a risk of any undisclosed liens, encumbrances, or mistakes, and that is what the title policy is going to be covering. Um, and again, it protects the insured owner and lender, depending on which policy is issued. Um, it, again, it protects your title um, and any hazards. And it's a benefit because like, not like other title insurance, not like other insurances, title insurance is a one-time fee. So you, you pay for a title policy when you purchase the property or when you're refinancing, if you're issuing a lender's policy. And it is a one-time fee. It's not like a monthly thing or a yearly thing that you, you do. Um, what is title? So the title to a property is the fundamentals of who owns the property. It's the legal history of the real property. It includes deeds, liens, mortgages, any encumbrances, and easements of record at the Registry of Deeds. Before closing, these records are searched for 50 years to a good deed, or um, if it's a refinance, it might be a two-owner search. And with that search, the attorney reviews and certifies the title and details to the owner what defects or encumbrances are there. So you're going to say, why do we need a title policy? I'm paying an attorney to do a title search, right? Spencer, I see you, you smiling because <laughs> you've heard it before. Um, so we, we hired an attorney. They did a title search. Why do I need a title policy? That's what the attorney's job is. Well, even the best title examinations or search cannot protect the, the home or the title from things appearing of record. And I'm going to read from a um, flyer that we have here of like 70 or 80 covered risks that the policy provides 
things that a title search wouldn't disclose. So forged deeds, you know, the best attorney can review a deed, but I don't know whether you signed it or somebody else signed it. Um, it looks correct. It's properly notarized. Someone says that you were there, but it's forged, right? Um, forged mortgages. We see that often. There's so many claims in regards to that. Forged, forged releases is another thing that we're seeing very often where, you know, a release goes on record and it's not the party that's supposed to have released it. Deed by person who is incompetent, right? Sometimes there's no um, receiverships or guardianships that you've searched the public records, you've searched probate records, you don't know if the person was competent, that you get a document that's notarized and later on there's a challenge to that. Again, a good title search would not disclose that. Um, deeds by minors. Um, as you know, you have to be 18 and older in order to enter into a contract. If you have a minor signing document, you don't know as a title, you get a deed that's signed. You don't know what age that person is. Again, that is something that would be not disclosed on title, but covered by the policy. Deeds by unauthorized individuals of a corporation. Um, you know, you get a vote or you get something of record that we might be uh, statutorily allowed to accept, but it's not appropriate because something changed within the corporation. And then there's a challenge to that. Uh, deed by a purported trustee. One of the main questions I get on a daily basis is, is this trust correct? Who can sign on behalf of a trustee? Sometimes you have purported trustees in the back chain of title that conveyed property that didn't have the authority to do so. So again, covered by the policies. Um, deeds that were signed under fraud duress, um, again, covered by the policies. Deeds that were signed under false POAs. De again, reviewing title, you're not going to be able to tell this. Um, undisclosed divorces. Deeds um, affecting property of the deceased person and not all heirs joining in. So missed heirs in the chain of title. Ineffective releases. Um, one of the largest issues that we see on a daily basis is missing discharge or defective discharges from prior owners. And if you don't have a policy, you have to wait until the matter is resolved for the buyer to take title. If you do have a policy, an indemnification with undertaking to the buyer's title company will clear that. So again, rather than holding up the closing 30, 40 days, and given that some banks are not around, like GMAC is one that we see often where they're not around and we're able to give an indem with undertaking and then we'll go in there and quiet title to the property in our claims division. So the policy covers for a lot of things that again a title search wouldn't be uh, wouldn't disclose and that's why you get a title policy because it protects your home and your title um, to the property and it makes it easier for you to be able to sell um, the property um, with an indemnity undertaking. There are two different types of title policies that you can get, a lender's policy and an owner's policy. The owner's policy protects the owner of the property. The lender's policy protects the lender. Um, the owner's policy, if there is a claim under your, your title, your owner's policy, if it's covered under the policy, will provide coverage to the owner. One of the main questions we get is, oh, I did buy a policy at closing. Um, my lender required me to get one. They mean that you paid for the lender's policy, which 
if you get a mortgage, you are required to obtain, but that doesn't cover the insured owner of the policy. So uh, you need to get both an owner's and a lender's policy in order to protect both the insured owner and the insured lender. Uh, the lender doesn't file a claim or cannot file a claim until there is a loss under their policy. So unless the lender has foreclosed and become the owner of the property, that is when their coverage kicks in. Um, again, the owners cannot use the lender's policy in order to file a claim. If the lender requires a policy, shouldn't you as well? So always thinking about um, getting an owner's coverage uh, policy to protect yourself as well. Um, okay, so once we've done the title search and we've reviewed title, the attorney will then issue a title commitment. A commitment in, um, commits First American or another title company to issue a final policy. The commitment is going to lay out what you need in order to close in Schedule B1, and I'll get into that in a little bit, and um, what the exceptions are that are going to be carried forward. Um, Title insurance documents issued, it, again, issued prior to closing, it commits the title company to insure. Um, it is not a guarantee or an abstract of title. It just says what we require in order to issue a policy. The commitment will be valid for a period of six months from the date that it is issued. And the effective date would be the date that title is run to. So you'll get the title search. It's gonna say March 1st, 2023. That is the effective date of your commitment. Um, and it is good until the policy is issued. The anatomy of a commitment. So there are different things that we require in a commitment in order for it to be valid. First, the Schedule A. This is going to be the description of our transaction. I'll get into it in a little bit. Schedule B is our requirements in order to issue the final policy. Schedule B2 is all the exceptions that the property is going to be subject to and that are going to go on to your final policy. And Exhibit A is our legal description. So um, in the legal description, what are we actually insuring? So I'll get into each of these things shortly. Schedule A, um, now getting into Schedule A. So Schedule A has our effective date. So that's the date that title was run to, as I said, let's say March 1st. Um, Item two on Schedule A is going to be who are we insuring? So um, what type of, are we insuring the uh, individual or the lender? You'd put that in there. You'd also reference whether it's an ALTA or an EGLE policy. So there are two different policies that we issue. An ALTA policy is the standard um, ALTA, American Land T Title Association policy. The EGLE policy is the ALTA policy with additional coverages that First American provides. So you, you the standard ALTA will give you um, covered risks that uh, you might have um, on a regular ALTA policy, but the EGLE policy will give you additional risks. So you'll get um, coverage for encroachments, you'll get coverage for mechanics liens, violations of restrictions, uh, structural damage and mineral extractions, building permit violations, zoning violations, failure to contain um, improvements, street uh, post policy matters and easement setbacks, usury violations, and it gives you coverage for the standard con uh, condo, um, HUD endorsements, um, 
adjustable rate, negative amortization, environmental liens, and the comprehensive. So these are um, the difference between the two is in an Alta policy, you're getting less risks covered as with the Eagle, you're getting additional coverages. Um, the Eagle policy can only be issued to a one to four family owner occupied property. The Alta has to be issued if you have an investment property or construction commercial. Um, next is item three, which is how you hold title, um, whether it's fee simple, leasehold or other. Uh, typically, you'll see fee because you're purchasing the property in fee. You do in in commercial settings see leaseholds most times, but in residential, you're you're mostly going to click off the fee. And then who the current owners are. So based on your title search, you're going to determine who the owners are of the property at the date that the commitment is issued. Item five is going to list our property address. B1. So B1 is really important on a commitment because you're going to list everything you require in order to issue the final policy. Um, you need a deed, right, from, so from the current owners to the proposed buyers. You need a release of any liens of record, um, any sort of matters that you need to do before you close. You need to get taxes paid. You need an affidavit um, in order to release mechanics liens and parties in possession. Um, you, um, you also might need uh, to raise additional covered matters that appear on title from the date of the commitment to the date of the final policy. So any sort of matters that are on record, leases, um, anything that you're going to release or anything that you need to do prior to closing, you need to list and be one. It's really a great checklist for me too. Whenever I'm reviewing a commitment, I go through it. I'm like, okay, did we get a payoff for that mortgage? Did we get a payoff for the attachment? Did we get a payoff for the execution? Um, there was an issue with missing errors. Did we review the probate? So anything that you need in order to close the an issue of final policy should be listed in Schedule B1 of um, the commitment. Schedule B2 of the commitment are matters which encumber title and the as of the date of the commitment. So these are anything that you're going to carry forward, any easements any restrictions that the property is subject to, any covenants, um, if there's any takings, if there's rights of others that you're going to take subject to, those matters are things that are going to go in B1. So these are things that you're not releasing at the date of closing, but um, the property is going to be subject to. Do you want me to answer the question, Spencer? Sorry, sure. Uh, feel free. I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure if it was a, a misunderstanding of what you said, but go ahead. And... Okay. So the question is, if there, uh, could you please briefly explain the difference between fee simple and fee simple leasehold? So um, a fee simple is when you own the land and there's no other encumbrance, like nobody else has an encumbrance to it. Whereas a leasehold is, I own the fee of the property, but I grant Spencer a lease to use a portion or the full property. Spencer would have a leasehold interest in the property and I would have the fee absolute of the, I feel like I'm back in law school, <laughs> uh, real estate. Um, and I would have the fee absolute of the property without anybody else having an interest in it. Uh, Spencer as a leasehold owner can mortgage his leasehold interest 
leasehold interests could be limited to time period. So I can grant Spencer a leasehold interest in the property for a period of five years with the ability to renew. And after that time, it terminates. Um, but again, a fee interest doesn't terminate. Um, I own the fee absolute and I can grant interest in, in my land. Good. Um, okay, so matters uh, B2 under the commitment are matters that are going to, again, encumber the property. If you're taking subject to an easement, like you have an easement going through your land for the abutters to use, um, that you're taking subject to, that doesn't go away. Any restrictions, so let's say there's a restriction on the property that says you can't build over a certain amount um, of floors or you can only have so many units or whatever it may be. In that instance, again, you're taking subject to these. Any covenants or conditions that you're taking subject to would be listed in B2. And the way it works is if you issue a policy with an exception to, let's say, the easement, if someone claims an interest saying, if you go and block that easement and you say, oh, I don't want you to use it anymore, the fact that we took exception for it, you do not have coverage. Um, for that. So if you go and block the easement and the people that were using the easement file a suit against you, that is not a covered matter under the policy because we took exception to it. Um, okay, so that's B2. Other um, exceptions in B2, you have standard exceptions that come with a policy. You have the parties in possession, you have um, mechanics liens, and you have survey coverages. Um, you can remove under the policy, and we'll get to it when we're talking about the final policy, um, the standard exceptions. The EGLE policy automatically removes those standard exceptions, and we're providing the additional risks because it is an insured owner residing in the property. Um, in order to remove the standard exceptions, we do need an affidavit to be signed, and that was a requirement in, in B1 of the commitment that you get an affidavit signed by the, the sellers stating that there are no parties in possession. So there's no tenants in the property um, under unrecorded leases, or there's nobody, you know, that put a tent up in your house, backyard, and using any portion of your land. Um, for mechanics liens, the affidavit would say that you haven't done work in the last 90 days on the property. Um, and for survey, in order to remove the standard survey exception on the ALTA policy, we do require a full survey to show the meets and bounds of the property where, where everything is located to ensure that there aren't any encroachments either of, of our property onto abutters or the abutters onto the land that we are being we are insuring. Kathy, um, you, we had a question internally here. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about the difference between an, a full ALTA survey and a plot plan and when you would require one versus the other? Yeah, so a plot plan really isn't a clear depiction of anything. Um, a plot plan, they might use assessor's records in order to create a plot plan. Um, they don't actually go out to the property to measure anything. Um, it's just based on information that the surveyor has, um, and, and it's a lot cheaper to get a plot plan. It's, I think, what is $150 to $300 to get a plot plan. So it's not really an accurate depiction, but a plot plan might potentially tell you that there could be an um, encroachment, right? They'll put an asterisk saying potentially an encroachment, but we haven't actually done a survey on the property. So we don't know whether or not there really is an encroachment. Um, 
on the policy, we wouldn't be able to remove this on the ALTA policy. We wouldn't be able to remove the standard um, survey exception with a plot plan on an owner's uh, because again, it's not really, no one's going out there to measure anything um, on. So we would, a full survey is you have a surveyor go out there, measure everything, lay out, you, you have to prepare a commitment with all the exceptions in it, lay out where all the easements are, lay out where access is, lay out if there's any encroachments, they measure based on the deed and description and tell you the description is appropriate. And with a full ALTA survey, we would be able to determine if there are encroachments or if there's anything that um, we would require you to take exception for. Even if you do get a full survey though, um, if there are encroachments onto a butter's lands or if you're encroaching onto an easement, we might remove the standard exception, which takes exception for everything, but we would limit it or put an exception in the policy to the limited thing that we see on that, on that survey. So the full survey, again, might show an encroachment that if we don't get an easement for that encroachment or if we don't um, get a release uh, to allow for the encroachment, then um, we would have to take exception for that. So even though you're removing the standard exception, you still do take exception for things. It's not what I always get the question, well, we signed an affidavit that says that there are parties in possession, but you said if we sign the affidavit, we can just remove the standard exception. Doesn't work that way. So those affidavits actually need to be reviewed and you need to see, you know, if they say there's no parties in possession easily enough, you can remove the exception. If they say there are parties in possession, you need to take exception for those parties in possession and say, hey, there is a party that's, you know, put a tent in my backyard and they're just hanging out there. They've been there for 20 years, so it's okay, right? We we don't have adverse possession. But again, review those affidavits very carefully to ensure that there are no parties in possession, that there aren't, there hasn't been work done in the last 90 days. I think we joked a little bit about mechanics liens and in Massachusetts, we can ensure um, mechanics lien and give coverage, but we just wanna make sure that if there was work done in the last 90 days, we've taken the appropriate precautions to limit the risk of a lien of, of, of property, right? There was work done and the affidavit says there were, was work done, you either leave the exception of record or you ensure that whatever work was done at the date of closing is paid at the date of closing. So there's no right to a lien to the property or there's a bond or, you know, there's so many ways to go around it in Massachusetts. So easy enough, but we can clear any sort of exception or matter. Um, again, survey, we need to have a full survey in order to remove it, or you can give an EGLE policy, which is, the, again, the standard enhanced policy, um, and it automatically removes those exceptions. Um, there is on the EGLE policy and on the ALTA a standard exception for condominiums. That exception for condominiums is just standard exception that takes that says, you know, any you're taking subject to the terms and conditions of the master deed, bylaws, trust. You can remove that standard exception if it's not a condo, obviously, or you can limit it to just taking it out and, and listing out the master deed and saying, you know, subject to the master deed record and book and page, subject to the trust record and book and page. Um, the policy or Schedule B-2 of the commitment also is going to list real estate taxes and municipal um, charges. You're doing a title search. You're going to see if there's any uh, tax liens of record. And if they do, you need a redemption at closing. 
or um, you're, and you're going to make sure that any taxes that are due and shown on your MLC will be paid at closing. Once that happens on the final policy, you're going to put, you know, taxes are paid through this date and then anything after that wouldn't be covered under the policy. Then you're also gonna have all the encumbrances again, as of the date of the commitment that are showing on title. Um, statements that um, are shown in, in B2 of the commitment will be moved over to B1 of the policy. So the once we get into the policy, you'll, you'll see, but all the matters that we had in our uh, commitment in B2 easements, uh, takings for, for roads, anything that the property is subject to will be carried forward. Um, I got a little bit into like Alta or Eagle. Again, the Alta policy is the standard coverages. Um, the Eagle is our enhanced covered policy. Eagle cannot be used for any construction, raw land, commercial or investment or LLC. I'm gonna, I didn't put an asterisk, but I'm gonna put an asterisk next to LLC. We do sometimes issue Eagle policies for LLC as long as the it's a single purpose entity and it's not for investment purposes. Um, there are recently a lot of estate planning attorneys using LLCs uh, to purchase property and um, the managers and heirs of managers um, reside in the property. Again, it's not for investment purposes. We have, um, we have an endorsement that you can issue to remove the natural person requirement under the Eagle policy, and you can issue an Eagle for an LLC as long as it's not for investment purposes. Um, types of policies, again, we have loan policy and owner's policies. The, the loan policy ensures the lender. Um, it Coverage is usually to the amount of the mortgage, and once the loan is paid off, the loan policy is no longer effective. And the owner's policy is, um, the owner would be the insured. The coverage is the purchase price or the appraised value. And it terminates when the owners um, or heirs, because there is coverage for heirs of the owner to until they release their interest in the property. So if they've you know, extinguished any rights to the property, the owner's policy no longer um, has any rights to it. Catherine, can you go into that just a little bit more? Um, you know, a lot of questions I get asked are, you know, I'm getting divorced or I'm getting married mm -hmm. or I want to put my house in a in a trust for estate planning purposes. What, what what when do you need a new policy for a new owner versus what's considered heirs um, yeah. under the existing policy? Great question. So an Owner's policy you purchase typically when, again, when you purchase the property, uh, you'll get an owner's policy and it would have me and let's say my husband on there or just me, myself, let's say. Um, five years from now, I get married and I'd like to add my husband on title, right? Um, I'm not, I do a deed conveying my interest to him and myself as tenants by the entirety. At that time, it's not really a new policy because I'm not selling anything. I'm not conveying any interest. I'm not getting rid of my interest. Um, at that time, what we would do typically is a change endorsement. You're not gonna run title again, other than just making sure that the deed is of record and making sure that I still own the property. Um, 
the policy won't be updated to the new date that you deed to the husband and wife. It would just, you know, you just change the insured under the original policy to the husband and the wife. Um, if you're conveying to a trust, the Alta policy and the Eagle policy does have continuation of coverage listed in the jacket, which says that if you're conveying for nominal consideration to yourself as a trustee of a trust for estate planning purposes, title automatically, um, the policy automatically gets vested in those individuals. There's no need to do a change endorsement. Um, I always get asked, well, shouldn't we do it just to do it so we have record of it? Sure. Um, a change endorsement, again, it's just something that says this policy was issued. We're amending something in that document and we're amending the insured in Schedule A one to reflect the trustee of the trust. You can do that. But again, the Eagle and the Alta policies do provide coverage for that. Um, also, if, for example, um, I have a title policy, I am deceased, my heirs do have rights to under that policy. The, the, the policy automatically gets vested in them even without a change endorsement. The times where um, you do need to pay for a new policy, though, is if let's presume I have a, a, a policy, an Alta policy, and I'm an LLC, and I'm converting or I'm conveying the property's worth 200,000, but I'm conveying it for 100,000 to a new LLC, but I have a partner. So someone did pay $100,000, right, for that interest. In that regard, that is not just a, a conveyance for estate planning purposes or just because you got married or you're adding your spouse or your mother or whoever it may be to title. Someone is buying uh, an interest. In that regard, you do need to issue a new policy to the new LLC. You can't just do a change endorsement. Even um, in instances where it is the current LLC, but there's membership interest being purchased, right? A new policy would need to be issued because there is an actual conveyance of interest under the Good. Okay, so once we've issued the commitment, we go into the policy, right? We've done our closing, we've paid off all our mortgages, we've paid off, um, we've released every, every lien on the property, we've obtained a deed, we've recorded the MLC, we've recorded the new mortgage. Now we're ready to issue our policy. You're gonna, the anatomy of the title policy is you have your jacket, which lists out all your covered risks, <laughs> everything that your policy covers you for, all the exceptions and exclusions are listed therein. Then you have your Schedule A, which is the description of the transaction. Um, then you have your Exhibit A, which is our legal description. You have B1, which is um, all the exceptions that we're taking subject to, and B2 are all subordinate um, matters, which is only on the loan policy. So any subordinate mortgages, UCCs, all of that stuff will be in B2 of the title policy. Schedule A of the actual policy is going to be the policy number. There is only one number issued. It's not something, um, nobody else has that policy number and we can look it up in our system and pull up your policy. Um, the date and time of recording on an owner's policy would be the date and time of recording the deed. That is the date that your policy is issued and that is where your coverage um, stops. I'm going to say that again. That is where your coverage stops. Um, 
meaning anything that happens post that date, and unless you have an EGLE policy that gives you some future coverages, that is anything after that date is not covered under the policy. Um, everything before that date is covered under the policy. And you're going to say, well, why do I need a policy? <laughs> Again, if you're covering me to the date that I ran title to, what is the issue? Why are you issuing a policy? What's the benefit of it? And again, as I mentioned earlier, there are so many things that could not possibly pop up on title that the policy does give you coverages for. The loan policy is going to be the date and time of recording of your mortgage. So once the mortgage goes on record, that is the date that you're, if you're issuing just a loan policy. For um, simultaneous coverage, and what we mean by that is the owner's policy and the loan policy is issued at the same time. If you issue an owner's policy, you're going to pay for the owner's policy, and the lender's is only going to be a $175 fee is what our simultaneous fee is. So you're not paying for both policies. Technically, you're only paying for the owner's and a minimal fee to issue the lenders as well. If you do not issue, if you do not obtain an owner's policy, you do need to pay for the full loan amount, whatever the rate is for the specific title company you're working with. Um, the owner's policy again is the purchase price or whatever is on the deed, or if we're not issuing or if, um, it's you're getting an updated policy because you're going to, um, if you're getting a policy, you purchase a property, but you're, you purchase vacant land, but you know that it, the value of the property is going to be $5 million. Um, and once you've fully constructed it, we can ensure the appraised value for the future, but just know that the coverage is limited to the amount of loss under your policy. So if you don't actually build $5 million and you purchase the land for only a million, that is your loss when you file a claim, not the full $5 million. The loan is only going to be the mortgage amount. So whatever your mortgage amount is going to be, it won't be based on appraised value or anything like that. Um, Schedule A of the, the um, owners and loan policy is the owner's policy would be whoever the insured owner is. The loan policy would be the lender. The interest in land, um, again, the estate or interest would be fee simple or leasehold. In the loan policy, um, you're going to list your mortgage description and um, also the property description. Catherine, we have a, a question from yeah. the audience um, going back to when you say coverage stops at date of policy. Mm -hmm. uh, does that mean it covers title issues that occurred prior to the deed or the mortgage recordation, but you only discover it after it's recorded? Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So you are covered for everything prior to your deed going on record, missing heirs, uh, missing trustees, uh, forged documents, um, any matter that appears prior to you taking title, that is what is covered under the policy. And you're going to say again, why do I need a policy? Because I did a title search. There are so many things that could pop up on title. Um, I just couldn't begin. You know, I, I gave you guys a few earlier, but there's just so many things that pop up on title. Um, the Eagle policy does give you some future coverages for forced removal or encroaching instructions that are discovered post policy, but not created post policy. Um, and those are covered matters under the policy. Um, okay, so Schedule A, similar to what we talked about in the commitment, it's going to list who the insured is. Owners would be the owner, loan would be the lender. 
um, list out how you hold title, list out the mortgage um, and the property description. Um, hold on. I just want to go into Exhibit A's because Exhibit A in the policy is really important. It's the description of the land. So the meets and bounds descriptions are the reference to a lot on a plan. That is simple enough, but sometimes we don't just ensure the meets and bounds on the plan. Sometimes your property is subject to an easement, for example. You need an easement to get on, not subject, benefited by an easement. So I own the back lot. I need an easement to get onto a public street. The exhibit A, you would list that easement. But in order to be able to ensure an easement on the exhibit A, you need to not only run title to your parcel, you need to run title to the abutting parcel that has granted you the easement. Why would you do that? You're going to say, well, we want to make sure that that easement was properly created. You've run title to the abutters. You see that Spencer owns the property, but the easement that you have is from Catherine. How does Catherine have a right, right? On title, you see a de an easement from Catherine to, you know, Clay. Um, and you say, oh, okay, well, there's an easement. I'm just going to put it on exhibit A. No. If you run title to the property, you'll see that Catherine has no interest in the property and she can't grant the easement. You need an easement for Spencer in order to access to the main street. Uh, so running title to the abutters is necessary in order to ensure it in the exhibit A of the policy. Um, also, it's important to see if there are any liens that Spencer has. So if Spencer's granting you an easement, he's the appropriate property party to issue the easement, but Spencer has a mortgage, a tax lien, child support liens, and all these things are of record prior to granting you the easement. What happens when there's a foreclosure of any of those liens? It wipes out my easement. So I can't just ensure the easement, even if it's properly created, unless I get releases or subordinations of those liens to my easement. Um, so it's important whenever you're including additional matters in Exhibit A that you've done the title search in that. Another thing that we shouldn't be putting in the Exhibit A is any sort of meets, uh, I'm sorry, square footage. That shouldn't be in the Exhibit A. We don't ensure square footage. Um, you know, I'm sure you've seen it many times when you've reviewed deeds that it says, you know, a thousand square feet, but you get your survey and the survey says 3,000 square feet, right? It varies, especially in older plans. Um, people or the deeds made mistakes. We're not ensuring the, the 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 square footage. We're just ensuring the meets and bounds. And if we're ensuring a condo, make sure that we only put in the unit that we're ensuring. If there's any pertinent easements that go with the condo, you run title to those to ensure that they were properly again properly created. That you have plans of record to show where that is. The number one thing we see is master deeds that have been created with site plans that are recorded and they're granting parking or exclusive rights that are not shown on those site plans. Um, we can't ensure any sort of pertinent easements unless we can see where they're located. You can't, you know, even if the master deed says Spencer has the right to an exclusive um, parking spot 11, how do I know where parking spot 11 is? You might know when you drive up and you see the number 11, but if it's not on the site plan, it's not something that we can ensure. B1, um, again, you have your parties and possessions, um, survey matters, mechanics, liens, 
these can be removed um, as long as, again, we get an affidavit saying that there's no parties in possession. And if there are parties in possession, you take exception for those rights. If there are boundary line issues, like if you have a survey and the survey shows that there is an encroachment, you take exception for it. If you have a clean survey, you can just remove the standard exception. Mechanics lien, you get an affidavit that says no, no work was done, or if work was done, we try to find a way to ensure it. We can remove it. We just need to do additional work on getting um, waivers signed by the general contractors, making sure that, that they might get paid at closing or that there is a bond on record. On the owner's policy, you will see an exception for the insured mortgage. I've always said you don't need to put in that ex exception. You can remove it. It is a, if I'm taking out a mortgage, I can't say, oh, how did this appear on title, right? I'm signing it. So it's pretty clear it's an exception on my title. Um, so, and, and it's also something that's created, suffered or assumed by the insured and excluded under the coverages of the policy. So I, you don't need to put it in there. If it's on there in the system, you can remove it. Real estate taxes, again, as long as you've paid off your taxes, you can say taxes are paid up to this certain date. And if it's not a condo, you can remove it. Then you see all the matters that encumber the title. Um, again, anything that was in B2 of the commitment, any easements, restrictions, covenants, conditions, things that you're taking subject to. If you're taking subject to a lease, right? You There was a lease of record before. Now they're, you know, you're taking subject to the lease. You, they didn't extinguish it that also goes in. So anything that you're taking subject to would go into B1 of the policy. Um, we talked about deleting. In the loan policy, there is a Schedule B2, and these are all subordinate matters to, to the mortgage. Um, any second mortgages, any equity lines, any subordinate mortgage, any declarations of homestead, any sort of matter that is subordinate would go in B2. The lender, sometimes UCCs um, I've seen in there. The lender does require uh, B2 because they want to make sure that their mortgage is ahead of all the, these other things and they review it that way. Um, it's really not required, but check with your lender to see if they need it or not. And I'm not going to go into endorsements because there are a lot of them, <laughs> but the loan policy does provide some additional coverages on the jacket that you automatically get, which are the secondary market mortgage endorsement. Um, you'll get the environmental. So if there's any violations of record for any environmental protection liens, um, condo. So you'll get uh, the 4.1 endorsement, which um, confirms that the master deed is properly created and the unit is properly created, variable rate, um, ensuring that the, the mortgage doesn't violate um, the statute, and, and the ALTA 9s, which are, are comprehensive endorsements. Um, the comprehensive provides coverage for any covenants, conditions, or restrictions and ensures that the mortgage doesn't violate those. Um, and in the jacket of the policy, you can click off these endorsements that are applicable to your particular transaction, and they will be carried forward. I want to leave room for questions because I'm sure this is all riveting stuff. <laughs> if anyone has any questions, feel free to type it into the Q&A box. Um, 
Catherine, what, one question I have is you talked about the covenants, conditions, and restrictions or the comprehensive endorsement. Mm -hmm. the, so you can list, can you talk a little bit about the difference between the, the listing of a covenant on Schedule B from what's covered on on in the in the comprehensive endorsement. In the endorsement, yep, yeah, definitely. Or, so, in the, or in the the uh, Eagle policy. Correct. So on the when we take exception to a covenant condition and restriction, we're taking exception to the terms and conditions. So if um, there's a restriction of record that says you cannot, you know, um, build ten stories, right? And at the date of the policy, it is a seven-story building, right? The covenant condition and restriction endorsement says, although you took exception for us, we're confirming that at the date of the policy, there aren't the mortgage or the insured owner doesn't have any violations of those covenants, conditions, and restrictions. So we're giving affirmative coverage for, even though we took exception for it, we're giving affirmative coverage. If you, you know, if it was 11 stories, we wouldn't be able to give that endorsement because we would know that there is a violation of covenant condition restriction. And therefore, we can't affirmatively ensure that there aren't any violations of record. Um, so I know it seems like a negative, right? Like you're taking exception for it, but you're giving additional coverages. We're just saying, although there's a restriction of record, we're confirming that there's no violations of that restriction at the date that you purchased the property. And you would get coverage if there was a violation. Great. Um, there's we, the question and answer is still open. Not nothing has come in yet, so I'm happy to just kind of <laughs> ask questions that have come to mind yeah. as as we're listening. Um, one one thing that I've always been curious about working for a larger firm that is not a agency, mm -hmm. uh, a title agent. What can you talk a little bit about the? the division of labor between the attorney title agent and you as the underwriter for the national uh, company? Yep. So um, there are different divisions of the company, right? We have um, national uh, commercial, and then we have agency. In Massachusetts, as you guys know, the NRISE case requires that when we're handling residential transaction that a mass attorney handle the transaction, right? Reviews title, certifies title, um, does a 50-year search. Um, there are certain things that only an attorney in Massachusetts can handle for residential transactions. In addition to that, the um, mass attorney doing the closing also issues a title policy as an agent of First American. So in that regard, we're really not involved. The underwriting team is not involved unless there's a large issue with the title of the property that we're being asked to review and see whether or not we're willing to take a risk or give an endorsement or do whatever in order to be able to issue a final policy. Um, in a commercial setting, um, our office, National Commercial Services, and um, our office in, in the agency office, we do run title and we handle all that portion sometimes ourselves, right? As your office would reach out to us and say, hey, can you do a title search? Um, we would run the title. We would handle reviewing the title. We would issue the commitment. We would issue a pro forma. I know we didn't get into that because it's not really part of the residential setting. You don't issue pro formas, but a pro forma is a mock-up of what the final policy would be at the date of 
closing basically. And it includes all endorsements, all the exceptions and all the things that um, would appear on the final policy. And then we would issue the final policy. We can handle escrow, we can hyperlink commitment. So there, for residential, it's a little different because our agents are the ones doing all the work and they're also getting the premium, you know, portion of the premium and um, in a commercial setting, it's different. Did that answer your question? Sorry. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank okay, you. Okay, good. Um, one other, this is one that's a topic of debate even, even around here. Um, when you, in Massachusetts, we are in the largely unique position of having two systems of land recordation. Um, and I often get asked, why do I need a title insurance policy if my land is registered and I've got basically a court order telling me that it's my land? Um. <clears throat> As we mentioned earlier, <laughs> let me get back to reading now. There are many times when um, land court would accept a document, right, for registration or filing, but there still appears to be things on record prior to that that can be challenged. Just because you have a certif certificate of title doesn't mean that no one can challenge your title, right? Um, there are, there could still be missing discharges in the back chain of title. There could, you know, um, as you guys know, for federal tax liens, right? If you run a certificate of title, um, the federal government doesn't have to record in, in, in cert, in registered land. They can record in recorded land. It still attaches to your registered land property, right? And sometimes people don't know that they need to search both. And there's a lien that goes on record that would be covered by your policy. So there's many things, missing heirs, many things that can pop up um, on title that could be an issue. Um, one of the things that I dealt with when um, I started off handling claims, and there was a case that I had where it was a mortgage that was, the acknowledgement was improper, but it was filed with registered land and the borrower filed for bankruptcy. Okay, great. I'm like, well, it's registered land. It's good to go, right? The mortgage is insured. They accepted it for filing. It's on the certificate. There's notice. Uh, bankruptcy court said, well, no, it, there isn't notice, right? So um, that mortgage went from a secured lien to an unsecured lien. But the issue is that because it is registered land, there's no way for me to record a 5B affidavit to correct the acknowledgement, right? You have to file an S petition. Uh, land court has changed that, but Things change all the time. Our cases, you know, we'll talk about foreclosures, Ibanez. There's many land court properties that their foreclosure was valid at the time that it happened, but because a case came down, it changed the certificate of title. So, yes, I agree with you um, when you say that, hey, I have a registered land property, but I work in title insurance and I see all the issues and the claims. And I'm like, great, you still need to. I'm living proof that you still need a policy. <laughs> Excellent. Um, great. Well, if there's um, nothing else from the audience, I'm not seeing anything come in. Um, I just want to say uh, thank you, Catherine and Clayton. Um, and, um, you know, stay tuned to the BBA's listserv for any, any future uh, real estate webinars and in-person events that are coming up. Um, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. And thank you from the BBA to Clayton, Spencer, and Catherine. And if there's no more questions, we can wrap up the webinar. Thank you to all the attendees.
palette. 